0: In Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9, and so just a bit of context, here in this passage, we find the beginning of Isaiah's prayer, where he remembers the past mercies, the past mercies of God. He's considering the present state of Israel, which is backsliding, and he's looking forward to the future glory that the Lord will provide to Israel in their full redemption. And so for we who are in Christ tonight, there's a glorious truth about our Savior, the Lord Jesus, as he's revealed by way of prophetic foreshadowing here. It's a word to Israel, and it's a word for us. It's a word for our instruction for us to rejoice in, in the midst of afflictions and trials. So if you look with me in Isaiah 63, starting in verse 7, where Isaiah says, I shall make mention of the loving-kindnesses of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion, and according to the abundance of his loving-kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Look again at verse 9. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. So brothers and sisters, we need to have a right understanding of the kind of affliction that is spoken of here. And the reason for that is, it's because of this affliction that Israel needed to be saved. And it's also the kind of affliction that, uh, so the children of Israel needed to be saved, it's the kind of affliction that all the the children of Adam have, have dealt with ever since the curse of sin came into the world. And... So this affliction, it's the bondage, uh, the bondage of corruption, the bondage to sin, it's slavery to sin. So tonight, let's look at this text in Isaiah 63, and let's behold the remedy that God has gloriously provided, our Savior Jesus Christ, who was afflicted for our afflictions. First, let's look and ask questions about verse 9. Who is afflicted? It is Israel. Where are they afflicted? They were in bondage 400 years, and what the Lord calls the iron furnaces of Egypt. Yet the Lord had not forgotten them. He'd chosen them to be his people, and even though they were there for 400 years, their affliction wasn't so severe that they were destroyed. Um, you know, he, in his mercy, amidst their affliction they were experiencing, um, they were like that flourishing desert bush that uh, wasn't consumed that Moses saw, where God revealed himself. Um, he was in the midst of that burning fire, and Moses turned to see the strange side of the bush that was burning but not consumed in Exodus chapter 3. So in all of this, we have God taking one family, the family of Jacob, and after 400 years, he takes this one family, and it turns into millions of people, right? And so he makes them into a nation of millions. And then this episode in Exodus 3... Moses tells us that the Lord who reveals himself in the bush that is burning and still flourishing is a God who sees. He sees the affliction of his people. The children of Israel need saving from the cruel oppression of their taskmasters. The iron furnaces burn, but they will still be a flourishing plant and bear fruit because God is in the midst of them. He is afflicted with their affliction. Israel is the apple of his eye. He does not change, and therefore the sons of Jacob are not consumed. He will stretch forth his mighty hand and deliver and redeem his people. And this great physical salvation that you see in Exodus, like no other event, pictures the great spiritual salvation that uh, Israel needs from their bondage to corruption caused by sin and rebellion against the Lord. So now the text says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Who is this he? It is, sorry, the question really is, is the infinite God of all creation, the almighty omnipotent, eternal God subject to any kind of suffering? Uh, from the balance of scripture, we know that he cannot be changed but in this text, it tells us that God is afflicted in the afflictions of his people. He can be grieved, it says in verse 10 in the same chapter, in some way that we can't explain the infinite almighty God of the universe enters into the iron furnace of his people's persecution and suffering and he owns it as if it were happening to himself. Now notice, notice the connection here uh, between the affliction and his people's salvation. It says the angel of his presence saved them. Who is this angel who sits in the very presence of God and is mighty to save as God himself? It is the angel that God sent before the people in the wilderness. If you remember in Exodus, he sent them. He sent the angel before them to lead them and guide them and to give them the very law of God. It is the angel of his presence, which was more than an angel. It is the Son of God, our Lord Jesus himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the only substitute for sinners. And he's veiled for a time in the glory of the angels, but... This is Jesus who condescends to step down into a humiliation of affliction by taking on flesh. He trades the glories of angels for he trades the glories of the angels in the presence of the heavenly Father in order to walk among the sickness and the blindness and the demonized afflictions of his helpless people. And all this so their afflictions become his on a cruel Roman cross. The Puritan Thomas Case once said it this way. Listen to this. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. Sin brought affliction into the world, and God makes affliction to carry sin out of the world. Why would he do this? You see, here we have the whole gospel in this little Old Testament verse, don't we? You know, it says, In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. They were sold into bondage. He was their kinsman-redeemer, Only he could put forth his name to claim his own. He redeemed an unlovable, afflicted people. He did this at supreme cost to himself, because our Lord is love incarnate. He loves the church, his bride, and he has called her out of the fires of sin and hell and death. While we were like Israel, dead in our trespasses and sins, God had mercy on us. He saw our affliction, he always sees, and he always knows. He delights to save impossibly hard cases um, who are so afflicted by sin that the wrath of God is already revealed to them. Like when you and I, you know, if you think when we were condemned already without hope and without God in the world, he was afflicted in our affliction. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And look, my friends, at what more tender and comfort um, Uh, promise there is in this single verse it says he not only entered into their sufferings with sympathy that only God could have he not only saved them from their enemies by his mighty hand he not only loved them and pitied them while they were yet sinners like you and I it says he lifted them and carried them all the days of old he will complete the good work he began in you afflicted child of God Consider the loving kindness of our great God. When you were lost in sin and could care less about him, he saw your helpless condition. He saw the sharpened sword and the arrows of his wrath, which were aimed at your heart for breaking his holy law. He saw and he was moved on your behalf to go and redeem you from your own undoing. He entered into the deepest humiliation on a rescue mission that he might see you as his precious seed that he might gain the full reward of his suffering an inheritance of blood-washed sinners who are now called saints. He poured out his life so that wretched sinners like me and like you would be redeemed, cleansed, forgiven, and even more astounding that we would be carried by him all the way to heaven to be glorified. But consider this, that in the meantime, he would even make former rebels and traitors like us and to the very ambassadors uh, for him on this earth, that he would grant an opportunity to suffer for his sake and to share in his sufferings. And if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, then he suffers with us. In all our affliction, he is afflicted. Friends, how do I know that he owns uh, my persecutions and trials for his own sake? It's clear that when our Lord... Uh, Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts. If you remember um, when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, he didn't say why are you persecuting people who believe in me? He said, why are you persecuting me? He took the stones that fell on Stephen's brow and he felt the beatings of the saints and the humiliation of his children who were given the right to be called the sons of God, even to them who believed on his name and who were called to suffer for his sake how far does jesus carry his people all the days of old all the days he said lo i am with you all the day until the end of the age friends the devil is a liar and he hates the precious promise of the scripture that we are looking at tonight do you know what he says to us when we're in the midst of affliction he says surely god has abandoned you Surely this affliction means that you've sinned so greatly that his mercy cannot be yours. Surely these afflictions are unique to you and no one will really understand if you tell them about the pain in your soul. Have you heard these lies before? You see, we need to memorize the promises of God because the devil says things that we remember too easily. The promises of God's word may be hard to remember, but see, God always rewards in the very end. Satan gives his reward on the front end. You see, it may feel good for a moment to indulge in some self-pity. It may feel good for a season to try and worry your way out of a trial or affliction in your own self-sufficient strength. But God would have you trust in the promise of his word that he sees and knows what you're going through. He has felt the weight of your afflictions. He has taken it upon himself. Through the Lord Jesus, upon the cross, the very worst affliction that ever came upon you. Even now, his spirit continues to work out this great salvation by putting sin to death in our mortal bodies. His word tells us that he sees and knows our affliction and that it has moved him to redeem us to the uttermost out of infinite love and boundless mercy toward us, we who are the precious objects of his unchanging love. John Flavel has a helpful bit of advice to us when we're in trials and afflictions. Listen to this. He says... Study the tenderness and compassion of Christ over his afflicted people. Oh, think, if the devil had but the mixing of my cup, how much more bitter would he make it? He would not be, there would not be one drop of mercy in it, but there is much mercy mixed with my troubles. Study the love of Christ to thy soul in affliction. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This is the device of love, to recover thee to thy God and prevent thy ruin oh, what an advantage would it be to study Christ and all your evils that befall you. So friends, we who are his church are like the burning bush that was not consumed in the fires of affliction because God the Holy Spirit is, is in our midst. This symbol of the burning bush has been a symbol throughout church history and um, it's a glorious picture of our great Savior and how he was afflicted in all our afflictions It's also a picture of the body of Christ, which must continue in this world of sin, uh, and yet the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They won't prevail against this church. Pandemics won't prevail. The world, the flesh, and the devil may conspire, but they will not prevail. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. Christ shall have the full reward of his suffering, and he will carry his people all the days until the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray.